Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hi, America Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. It was just by chance that we, the public, found out about a practice at the San Francisco Police Department. A practice that just about everyone agrees is unethical. San Francisco police used DNA from a victim's rape kit to link her to a completely unrelated crime years later. And just how many people have had their DNA used in this way? Well, that's a mystery. You know, it's very likely that this could have continued for years. We, we, we just would have never known. This scandal prompted the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to vote this week to limit how police store and use DNA gathered from evidence and kept in their labs. Today, the chance discovery of how San Francisco police use your DNA. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Well, it was a couple of months ago now in in mid-February. Alex Emsley is a reporter for KQED. 
the district attorney's office called me and a couple other reporters in to say, hey, we're, we want to talk about something that's, you know, potentially of significant public interest. The SFPD crime lab and likely other crime labs around the state have, as a matter of routine practice and policy, been storing DNA from every sexual assault or rape kit that gets gathered in a database. In that meeting, the DA walked us through how his office had learned that, you know, a suspect who was facing a felony burglary charge was identified because they had voluntarily submitted to a sexual assault response team or SART exam, more commonly maybe known as a a rape kit. And so she went in 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 2016 and submitted to what is described as, you know, a really invasive, traumatizing medical examination that ends up generating a match to a burglary suspect in late 2020. And we know that as a matter of routine practice, they have been testing DNA from future unrelated crime scenes against that database. The only reason that the DA's office found out about this is because through discovery in this case, um, they happened to get a set of documents from the SFPD crime lab that showed how this identification came to pass. And it, it doesn't really say we checked the quality assurance database, which contains sexual assault survivor information. You kind of have to put a few of these different documents together. Hmm. But once you look at them, it becomes very clear that that is exactly what happened. I think that any of us would feel just really violated by the idea of, you know, providing personal identifying information of sort of the greatest power significance, your DNA, and then having that used against you in a way that you never would have anticipated. Alex, I'm wondering when the district attorney, Chase Boudin, made this announcement, how did he talk about the implications of this um, at that press conference you went to? I think the DA expressed outrage, um, but I think it was also a little bit hedged by the fact that, you know, we hadn't really seen this before. He hadn't seen this before. And yet that's exactly what's been happening. And we know that it's been happening in San Francisco since at least 2016, if not earlier. And so I think the DA was first saying, you know, this can't happen in San Francisco. Our office is, is really struggling to figure out what to do with this case. We don't know, you know, whether uh, we should proceed with charge, these charges or just dismiss it, which is what ended up happening. The DA brought up Fourth Amendment concerns, um, you know, protections against unreasonable search and seizure. It goes back to this idea of There wasn't really informed consent that uh, this person's DNA could be used in this way. Well, it is my commitment going forward to never use DNA obtained in this unlawful way. It is my commitment to work with Supervisor Ronan, with State Senator Weiner, and with all other leaders of good conscience in the community and in the legislature to ensure that this practice ends and that sexual assault survivors can trust in law enforcement and have confidence that we will not abuse their trust, that we will stand with them, that we will fight to make San Francisco safe for all of its residents. Fast forward to to now, I mean, the department, the city, are going to be very likely facing, uh, you know, civil rights litigation um, because it's quite probable that this is not only something that is disturbing and upsetting, but also illegal. 
it's a little complicated to get your head around exactly how DNA profiles get used. It's very scientific and I feel like complex. Yeah. Once I and others, you know, once we started to understand that, then it was like, okay, has this ever happened anywhere before? And this specific thing, it, it really hasn't. Alex, I know that this story involves this huge database within the San Francisco crime lab that stores a lot of really sensitive information. What is this database and what is it used for? There are different kinds of DNA profile databases that crime lab technicians, uh, police investigators, law enforcement in generally may use or have access to. They started a quality assurance database several years ago. That's a specific kind of DNA database that holds, uh, you know, people's DNA profiles or, or, or profiles collected from evidence that aren't tied to anyone's identity for a very specific purpose. And it isn't really to catch a perpetrator. So in this quality assurance database, first of all, it may have samples from lab staff, evidence from crime scenes, uh, DNA from, say, a recovered gun or a bullet casing to sexual assault survivors, um, you know, rape kits, uh, uh, DNA profiles. And those sometimes will contain profiles of, say, an intimate partner for uh, the purposes of excluding that person. Um, as a suspect in that analysis. And the idea is that they can use this database to check against and avoid uh, contaminating, you know, the samples that they're working with most directly, right? This is a way to be able to exclude, okay, this is not the perpetrator, this is a, a criminalist that works in the lab. And somehow their DNA profile got uh, intermixed here. It sounds like this was never meant to be a tool to solve crimes. So like, how did that happen? Uh, as I understand it, every sample that the lab worked with got into this quality assurance database and then just stayed there. Part of SFPD's past practices was to just keep everything in there in perpetuity. There was no sort of shelf life for the contamination samples. And that creates a situation where there are samples that are maintained or, or, or saved or kept in this quality assurance database that are several years old, that are from a time when the crime lab was at a different location in a different building. At that point, you know, it becomes a bit of a head scratcher, hard to understand why you would maintain those kind of profiles for that purpose. So the database used to be basically anything we would generate in the lab would go into the database. It was to monitor for contamination. Acting uh, Forensic Services Director Mark Powell addressed this. You know, this is the civilian leadership of SFPD's crime lab and, and really the person who's going to have to take responsibility for the practices of the lab. So it was never meant to be kind of an investigatory thing. It was more just like the lab has information. What, what do we do with it? He described you know, that there wasn't really intention behind uh, using the quality assurance database in this way. However, uh, again, as it, as it gets bigger, criminalists, uh, lab technicians, people who work in the lab started seeing matches, not for samples that were in this database meant to exclude things, but 
for positively identifying suspects and crimes that they were working on. So that's kind of where we were and where we're at right now. And so he says that in 2019 is when the practice began. They're identifying potential suspects and crimes through this database that wasn't intended for that. What is... SFPD said about this practice and and why they used it. Does the police chief say anything about that? When it first came out, the immediate reaction was, if this is true, it can't be happening. We are going to end this practice immediately and make sure that it never happens again. Alex, I want to ask you about just the effect of this, um, the impact and what it means moving forward. I can't imagine that this is very encouraging news for anyone who might want to try and report their rape to SFPD. How are the advocates that you spoke with thinking about the impact of this? Stunned outrage, I think is the word. Yeah, it just makes me sick. Right when this you know, story broke, I got in touch with Ilsa Connect. She's with the Joyful Heart Foundation. She was just stunned by this news. Sadly, it's, it's creating more fear. It's creating more obstacles for survivors who are maybe even today thinking, should I report my crime to law enforcement? There has been a, a long battle by advocates for survivors of rape or sexual assault to get law enforcement to to work with DNA to identify suspects and end the backlog of uh, rape kits, uh, many thousands, many millions uh, of these kits that were untested across uh, uh, the U.S. To see that fight turn into a misuse of that information, I think was just, um, you know, it was a gut punch. You know, survivors often feel shame and blame, and they really fear the societal response to coming forward. And this type of action just continues to increase their fear and and breaks their trust. Alex, do we know how many people have been identified or arrested because of the use of this database? You know, I don't think we do at this point. We know that the department purged as of, you know, this scandal, um, all of its old DNA samples. But we don't know, you know, has this happened in the past? How many times? Is there even a way to quantify that? But I think it might be one of those questions that, you know, we don't have, we never get a full accounting or a full answer to. So now, Alex, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors has voted to end this practice in San Francisco. What does the ordinance that they voted on do exactly? You know, it does a couple of things. It it makes illegal in San Francisco the maintaining of any sample sort of indefinitely, right? There's, I believe, a 60-day limit on the amount of time that a sample can be maintained in this quality assurance database. It also eliminates the idea that certain types of samples would be put in here tied to someone's identity, right? Changing this database from something that can be used to identify someone when there's a, a, an unknown whodunit to something that is largely anonymized. The bigger idea is that beyond sexual assault, DNA collected from a crime victim should only be used to investigate the crime at hand. 
and not be used against that victim later. What we've seen um, as this science continues to advance is that there is, uh, you know, that it is very good at finding out things that we wouldn't have thought possible. And I think that is going to continue to raise really important questions and implications for privacy rights. Things like Fourth Amendment protections that were written at a time where this kind of thing was never contemplated. The Fourth Amendment talks about being secure in our papers. This is so much more powerful, being secure in our biological identity. It's it's a scary thing to think about how that power can be wielded without a process in place or without clear guidelines in place. And I feel like this story is an, is an example of that. Absolutely. I think that our government, our state, has a lot of power unless there are checks on it. And law enforcement is one of the most vivid ways that I feel like the state can wield that extreme power. Add new frontiers of of science that just um, really expand the amount of power that law enforcement can wield. And I think you get situations like this case. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Erica. As part of more fallout from this case in San Francisco, State Senator Scott Weiner introduced statewide legislation similar to the San Francisco ordinance that supervisors passed on Tuesday afternoon. The bill would make sure no lab in the state misuses DNA collected from a crime victim and that that type of information is walled off from other databases used to identify crime suspects. Thanks to Alex Emsley, a reporter for KQED. This 40-minute conversation with Alex was cut and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Christopher Beale scored this episode and added the tape. Kiana Mogadam, our senior producer of podcasts, provided additional editing assistance on this episode. And if you learned something in this episode, please share it with a friend. It's one of the best ways you can help our show. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening to The Bay. Peace. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.